Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glad to be here this morning. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. Uh, we're just excited about being here with you today, gathered around God's Word on this last day of June 2023. This is going to be 1 Peter chapter 5, part 1 this morning. And so uh, this ain't working. Uh, there it is. Are we good? Are we live? Hallelujah. I hope we are. I hope everything's going on, uh, uh, coming out right. I don't know what's happening, but, you know, that's just the way it is with social media sometime and all these gadgets. But, again, let's say it this morning. We are in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, as we have learned in our first Peter study, all of these first four chapters are really the context of them is suffering. Every one of them, if you've not followed along from the beginning, please go back, get your Bibles, follow along with us through the first four chapters, and you will see that the context, the overall context of first Peter, the list letter, was about enduring suffering uh, that is inevitable if you're going to live for Christ. Not just go to church, not just read your Bible, but if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you will suffer persecution. And all those who have done that know that's true. There's a lack of critic there's a lack of persecution in America. We're not looking for persecution, but there is a lack of persecution among the American church because there's not just a boatload of people that will choose to live godly in Christ Jesus. Now a lot of folk will go to church and read their Bibles, but to live godly in Christ Jesus means one must have their faith not in the past, but now faith is. Faith must be anchored moment by moment in the sacrifice of Christ because that's the legal means by which the Holy Spirit works within our lives. And outside of that, outside of that, nobody on the planet at any time is living godly in Christ Jesus. Now, there may be a lot of religious activity. There may be a lot of movement, such as in the church of Sardis, that they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead, Jesus said. So to live godly in Christ Jesus means your faith must be in the death of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 2, has the legal right to be able to give you all that you need to experience to live for God, to be pleasing to God. But outside, let me say it one more time before we dig in. Outside of faith in the sacrifice of Christ, and, and, and not faith yesterday, now faith is, or now faith is not. Faith is always a present opportunity, a present potential. We don't just live by faith unless we are deliberately and consciously maintaining our faith, fighting to keep the faith. What's that mean? In the sacrifice of Christ, becoming determined to know nothing but Christ crucified. Amen. Absolutely right according to the scriptures. So 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 1, let's look at this this morning. The elders, Peter writes, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Look, here we go. Turn the page, chapter 5, first verse, sufferings. Let's read it. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Get that now. First sufferings, 
then the glory. Christ rebuked those fellows on, the, on his walk to Emmaus that, that he came upon there and who had their lips hanging out and were saddened because they thought this one had been the one and, and they were so disappointed because he was now gone. But here he was walking with them. This is Luke chapter 24. And he rebuked them for not understanding the scriptures, for not knowing the scriptures that he must come and suffer and die and then be glorified. There is no, there is no glory without suffering. <coughs> this is why Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, and says, if we suffer, we reign with him. See, those that, shall li- those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will not escape persecution if you live godly in Christ Jesus. If you are escaping persecution, it's because your mouth is not testifying of what you claim you believe as a Christian. And even if your mouth is testifying about what you claim you believe, the offense is the cross. All sorts of people do all sorts of things with Jesus, but our Savior died on Calvary's cross, and nobody gets to heaven without having faith in the death of Jesus. Nobody can pray to the Father without having their faith in the death of Jesus because That's the only way we can get to the Father through Jesus. Jesus said, no man get to the Father except through him. That means through faith in his death, not just saying his name. Through faith in his death. Let me say it again. Not just saying his name. All sorts of people say his name. The rub, the offense, if you will, comes in. The criticism, the persecution, the resistance comes in when it's the cross, the death, the sacrifice, the true gospel. And when that's where our faith is, not when we say that's where our faith is, when that is where our faith is and that is our witness, that is our testimony, and that is our message, there comes the suffering. You will not escape it. So here we see this, the sufferings of Christ, he mentions. He says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, if you look down, and we'll go cover every verse as we always do, but look down to verse 10. He, he, but the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, he'll make you perfect and establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Get this. Suffering, my friends, is inevitable if you're, if you're going to bear fruit from living godly in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. It's, it's inescapable unless you're avoiding living godly in Christ Jesus. That's the avenue. That is the escape from avoiding persecution. Get that. And I'm going to say that again. The, the, the avenue by which we escape persecution is by going around the only way we can live godly in Christ Jesus, which is through a literal, deliberate, and conscious faith in the cross of Christ, the death of Jesus, meaning not just that he pardoned me. Are you ready for this? Not just that he pardoned me, not just that he died for me, but number two, I died with him. I am crucified with him. There's where the rub comes in. There is where the criticism comes in. I, just recently, there's, and there's always, always folks talking about, yeah, 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 the cross, but there is no but, my friend. The, the but, the cross, yeah, the cross, yeah, but that but is us laying the cross down. It doesn't matter what men, how they try to so eloquently talk themselves out of taking up the cross and denying self. That's all it is if it's the cross and or the cross but. That's all it is. And so watch this now. Let's read it again, verse 10. But the God of all grace, 
who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you've suffered a while. You see here in this one verse, we see that God's grace is for far more than being pardoned from our sins, but it's also for maintaining this faith, amen, by grace through faith in the sacrifice. Not faith in anything else. Not faith in anything else. Because faith in something else is us working for whatever it is we're asking God to give us. Our faith is either in the sacrifice and that alone as sufficient and enough for all grace. The grace Jesus tasted death by, Hebrews 2 and 9, or we're deceitfully and deceptively attempting to work for the things that are already freely offered and given to us if we'll just keep our faith in the sacrifice of Christ, then we find the very experience of what we've been offered and given freely by God. Hallelujah. Amen. So back up to the top, the elders, and Peter considered himself an elder, and this word elder is twofold. It does mean when you look it up, and I hope that you would, just to make sure you're seeing it properly, it does carry with it the... uh, the thought of, the meaning of age, elder, elder. But it also carries with it the meaning of presbyter, minister. And Peter says he's writing to the elders which are among this these Jewish Christians and he also is an elder. He also is a little older. He also is a presbyter. But he says that he, watch this, Watch this beautiful wording of this by the Holy Spirit through Peter. And Peter says, And I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He's partaking of that glory now. That glory that's going to be revealed, just as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is about to be revealed, my friend. But it rests upon us now. The glory of God and... uh, Listen, the glory of God rests upon us now and is experienced at its greatest time through suffering for righteousness sake, through suffering for our faith being in the sacrifice of Christ. Notice the next thing he says. Feed the flock of God which is among you. It's not just a total different direction. He knows Peter from experience and his own sufferings, his own self-induced sufferings, and his sufferings because of his faith being properly in Christ. He knows about, Peter knows about suffering. Really, that's all he ever did. He, he suffered many times of just being wrong and outspoken and even rebuked by Jesus and called Satan and told to get behind him, told, told right in front of everybody, you, you, you're savoring the things of men, Peter, and not the things of God. And that was what Jesus told him that when he was trying to divert his path from the cross. Get that now. But he says here, I'm I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that's about to be revealed. Then he says, feed the flock of God. this 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 is the avenue of feeding the flock of God. When you are suffering for your faith. Your suffering for faith is not what feeds the flock, but in this process you are able to feed the flock better because you're suffering, you're enduring through faith in the sacrifice. You're living godly in Christ Jesus. There is fruit of that to be seen. Yes, you are being criticized, resisted, persecuted to some degree, but my friend, the spirit of of glory and of God, chapter 4 tells us, rest upon us when we're suffering for righteousness' sake. When we're suffering not just 
for what men call faith, but faith in the sacrifice. Nobody is suffering, righteous suffering, if their faith is not in the cross. There is the, because righteousness only flows from Christ and his sacrifice. Romans 3, 25 through 27 tell us that, that twice that righteousness was declared from the cross. That G, in the, in another one, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he that knew no sin, Jesus, became our sin-bearing offering that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Where? At the cross. Righteousness is declared and offered only from the cross. So when our faith is, and we're being uh, criticized or persecuted or resisted for righteousness' sake because our faith, then that means it's because our faith is in the sacrifice. That's the offense. That's what men resist. 90% or higher number of preachers, Christian preachers today, born again, bought with the blood of Jesus, on their way to heaven, know all about the first part of the double cure, about being pardoned from their sin and able to be daily cleansed through that pardon and that position of justification. But very few... It's hard to find a preacher today who knows about this. They sing songs about it, but they really don't know what they're singing about. The second part of that double cure is understanding that we are, we are. Paul didn't say I was. Paul said I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. (laughs) The second part of that double cure is to be found crucified with Christ, to be found in the way of the cross, to be found determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified, to be found fighting the good fight of faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Hallelujah. Outside of that, we're suffering for being religious. And it's not going to be rewarded. It's not going to be rewarded. The only rewards for suffering is going to be the rewards from suffering for righteousness' sake. That means faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Hallelujah. You know, Muslims are suffering for being Muslims in certain places, and then they're dying and going to hell. So they're suffering got them nothing but torment here and torment for eternity. And you need to understand, Christians go through years and years, some, most, their entire lives of suffering for, if there's any at all for any spiritual meaning or purpose, it's just suffering because they're maybe uh, obnoxious and religious or maybe mean and, and, and people don't want to be around them because they don't know how to live for God and they call that suffering because of their faith. And preachers all over the world today will tell suffering Christians because they're suffering under the dominion of the sin nature because they don't know how to live for God. They don't know the only object of faith God honors even for the Christian is the the death of Jesus. So they suffer being under the dominion of the sin nature. And, 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 And many preachers are telling those Christians, you're suffering because of your faith. No, they're suffering because they don't know where to put their faith. Think about that. As we've brought out in this session, and I'll say it again this morning, everybody in the world is suffering. Everybody today is going to suffer. The lost are suffering because they're without God, they're without Christ. If you don't know Christ, if you're not following Christ, my friend, you're suffering. If you're without God, without salvation, you may have $10 billion, but you're suffering without Him because you're dead, severed from Him. You're incomplete. You're a wanderer and a vagabond. You may look like you have it all together, but so did Cain. You do know the Bible teaches that Cain and his children are the ones who begin to start cattle ranches and they're the ones that came up with instruments and and music and all that stuff, but they all were washed away by the flood and they're all in hell. And I want you to know that people may look like 
they have it going on, but if they're lost and without Christ, without Christ Jesus through faith in His sacrifice, they're suffering. Then there's the church. There's the church that doesn't know how to live for God. They're working hard for something they already freely have been given. They're, they're, they're suffering because they, uh, they don't know how to live for God. They do not know the only object of faith is the cross of Christ. Therefore, they're bound by the sin nature. Romans 6 reveals this, teaches this, and offers the reality of deliverance and victory to the Christian. And if Christians don't heed it, they don't listen, they don't know it, or they, it don't matter if they don't know it, they're, they're living in the dominion of the sin nature as well. But they, children of God, have a choice not to serve sin unto death. That's the sin nature because of a wrong object of faith. But they can serve obedience unto righteousness which is faith in the sacrifice of Christ. If they don't know that, then they're suffering as well. And for the most part, 90-something percent of all the true blood-bought Christians today are suffering because they don't know that truth. They don't know that truth. I did not know that. I'd never heard that until I began to hear ministers preaching the message of the cross, just like Paul did. And... So then there's the the Christian who knows how to live for God, who's learned this exclusive, scarce way of not only becoming righteous in Christ Jesus, but also to live in Christ Jesus, is to keep their faith in the cross, and that brings about suffering. But it's the only good suffering, the suffering where the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you, and you're going to be rewarded for that. All other suffering is just suffering now with nothing to gain from it in the future. So we need to cover that every time we're talking about suffering because everybody on the planet is suffering. Everybody on the planet is suffering. But I want to be found suffering for righteousness' sake, for the sake of Christ's name, because of my salvation. Hallelujah. So watch this. He goes straight from talking about uh, uh, exhorting those elders, those leaders among the, 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 these Jewish Christians of whom also he is an elder, he's a minister, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's not leaving that out. He's still focused on that. And he's also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Why? Because he is a part of the suffering of Christ. And then he says, feed the flock. This shepherd, the, the word means shepherd, lead, guide. And, and this letter is an example of doing that, of preparing the people to suffer for their faith, for righteousness' sake. And not to avoid suffering because when we go around suffering for the sake of our faith, that means we're being saturated with leaven. We're, being, we're, 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 we're moving around the very place where the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon us. Hallelujah. And, and listen, that needs to be the most important thing in our lives. God has not promised us tomorrow, but he has promised us grace sufficient for today. That's what we need. That's what the apostle Paul knew. He had to have that more than anything. That's why when he begged God three times to really uh, take that thorn out of his flesh, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And the apostle Paul said, well, hallelujah, then I'm going to go ahead and glory right here in my infirmity, in my weakness, that the spirit, that the power, he says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in the midst of suffering, listen, our main concern, no matter what the suffering is, it's out of our hands and we're trusting in Christ and God's grace is enough for now, for today. We've not been promised an hour from now or tomorrow. We've been promised grace for each step of the journey and God is faithful to give that to us if we'll keep striving 
for the faith of the gospel. Hallelujah. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. Take the oversight. Take the leadership role, preacher. Take it. We don't minister with question marks. We minister with exclamation marks. We don't get up and walla all over the pulpit. We get up and declare, thus saith the Lord. We get up and declare the word of God. We get up and we allow the Holy Spirit to take God's word and to point us to Calvary because that's where he always delivers us unto First stop every day, first stop every situation is the cross, the death of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.11. Because if we're not understanding that, we, we, how can we understand the teaching of Jesus when he said, you can't follow me, no man can follow me, lest he deny himself, take up his cross to be able to follow me. And if you don't lose your life, you can't find your life. That's what he said. And you lose your life through faith in being crucified with Christ and in what he did there for you. Not faith in you, faith in what he did for you and faith in what he did to you. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Let's look that word oversight up and just see what it means this morning. It means to oversee, to be aware, to look diligently into those that God has given you to lead. Not by constraint. Not by constraint. And that word means uh, by compassion. To compulsorily, to, to try to constrain them by force. Really, to try to control the flock by the flesh. And that's what most preachers are doing because they don't know any better. If we're not pointing them to Calvary, then we're trying to control them by the flesh. That's a powerful statement. That's a true statement. If we're not pointing the flock to where they can partake of the flesh and blood of Jesus, if we're not pointing them to where the Holy Spirit is delivering them unto, then we're trying to control them by the flesh. I've heard preachers say it with their own mouths. If I start preaching that all the time, I'll lose control of my congregation. My Lord, preacher, you're not here to control your congregation. You are here to, to willingly... With a ready mind, the Bible says, that means eagerly feed them. To eagerly feed them with a ready and willing mind. Not feed them. There's only one meal. There's only one meal at the buffet bar. There's not, there, listen, there's not two different plates on the table. There's one plate. It's the flesh and the blood of Jesus. That's the partaking. Where we've messed up as a church, something so horribly, is that we've tried to, you know, separate the Word of God from the living Word of God and what He did at, at the cross as the Lamb of God. If we do that, it's a, it's a grave error, and it brings great confusion and contradiction to our lives. So we must understand what Jesus... Let's go read this today in uh, John... Uh, chapter 21. Let, let's turn over there. I thought I had it here. Uh, John chapter 21, and I believe it starts in verse 17. No, it, it, let's go back up in verse 14. Verse 14. Let me get back over here, and I think I, I did have it. Okay. John 21, 14. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, love thou me more than these? He said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my lambs. Notice the, the equality here, the equivalent here 
of loving him and feeding his lambs. Now get that. It's tied together. And if we don't know what to feed them, we can't love them properly. Come on, pastor. If we don't know what to feed them, we can't love them properly. That's why we struggle sometimes loving folks because we're not partaking ourselves of the one thing there is to partake of, and that's the blood and the flesh of Jesus. That means faith in the sacrifice of Christ. And if we don't know that, and we're not learning to become more determined to eat nothing else, to depend on nothing else, to preach nothing else, but all the things in the Word of God in that context, then we're not going to be able to feed the lambs, and if we don't know what to feed them properly, we can't love properly. Get this now. Verse 16, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, love thou me? He said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my sheep. Jesus saying, if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. That's what he's saying here. He said unto him the third time, and we know why Jesus did this. One of the reasons, I'm sure it had multiple purposes, but one of the reasons is because Peter denied him three times. We've heard that. Peter denied Christ three times, and here he's asking him three times, and Peter is starting to get the point. Verse 17, he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time. Love thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, When you were young. Now get the context of what we're reading today here in this story along with 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 1 and 2 where we are. Watch now. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, you girdest thyself and walked wherever you wanted to walk. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you whether you would not. This Jesus spoke to him concerning, signifying what death he should glorify God by. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Follow me. So he's, he's reminding, he's, he, he's pointing Peter to, uh, to a time where he's going to suffer and die for Christ because he does love Christ. But there was a time... He denied Christ three times. And he knows how easy it is to deny Christ, even with a heart at one time. So I'll follow you all the way. Even if you die, I'll die with you. And Peter realized, well, I've reached a point where I realize that's not true. But now, after being questioned by Jesus three times, do you love me? If you do, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, Feed my sheep and follow me. Get that. And, and, and he brings, even in the story of Jesus telling Peter, at, after he's been resurrected and he approaches them and dines there, he tells him, when you were young, you did what you wanted to do. You went where you wanted to go. But now you're older. You're going to be found shepherding my people you're going to be found truly loving me and following me and you're going to suffer and you're going to die for it. This is why more than likely a huge part plays in that in Peter's context of his first letter at least. We'll see about the second letter when we get there. But the first letter really is all about suffering for Christ. And this is really what's going to separate the ministers of righteousness from the ministers of unrighteousness because they're going to suffer for preaching that message of righteousness, which is the cross. It's going to bring an offense, and people are going to leave. There's not going to be thousands and thousands piled up to hear 
this message, there's going to be a front door that people come in. They like the music. They might like the stance against sin. And they might like the stance against false doctrine that's out there and obvious, such as Catholicism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and the thing that everybody that's a Christian knows or should know is obviously blatantly satanic and false. But where the rub comes in is when ministers of righteousness begin to walk in a place of being determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, then they begin to warn of those things that are falsely trusted in within the church, within the denominational world, and then the rub, and then the push. And ministers who are hirelings, that's where they're going to start backing away. You'll always know somebody who's avoiding suffering because they're not going to warn very much. They're not going to warn very much against the wrong objects of faith that are in the church, as Paul did. You're going to recognize those who are just in it because they're driven by the flesh. They may know how to quote Scripture from sunup to sundown and impress you by what they can say, great swelling words using God's words, but if they're not pointing you to Calvary and warning you against everything that's the wrong, all these wrong objects of faith, and I'm not talking about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and everything, we all sit out and go, Amen! But I'm talking about when the preacher comes to town and he says, if your faith is in fasting for deliverance from sin, my friend, you, the sin nature is dominating you and controlling you in that because that's not the object of faith. When the preacher comes to town and says, if your faith is in Pentecost and not the cross, then you'll not have the power of Pentecost. There's where the rub comes in. And you'll know, you'll always be able to tell those who are avoiding suffering because they will avoid warning. And the more they avoid warning the congregational settings uh, is, is the more they're avoiding what God desires to see in His ministers today. I know this is where the rub comes in, but... Did they not kill all the prophets under the Old Testament? In, even in the early church, were they not called asleep? Were they not called to dead? Were, were we not warned as the early church 2,000 years ago to wake up, not, to be honest, not to steal, not to walk in darkness, to walk as wise and not foolish, uh, uh, not to do this, not to do that? Why do we have to be warned of all those things? Because our flesh runs to all those things. And we have to also learn the only avenue of escaping all of that is the way of the cross. Amen. So watch this also concerning this. Jeremiah 23, 4. You pastors need to write this down. Maybe the rest of you do as well. Jeremiah 23, 4 is God's promise through Jeremiah of what those he raises up to be his ministers of righteousness will look like. Not physically, but what their ministries will look like. And here it is. Jeremiah 23, verse 4. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Might I remind us all today, there's only one message that removes fear, one message that removes dismay, one message that removes all lack. And that is the message of Christ and Him crucified that brings the offering of grace to the hearer. Only one message. God's word from Genesis to Revelation can be preached if it's preached in the context it was written, which is righteousness. Again, if you're new to this ministry, listen very carefully. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8. Write these things down, please. Go read them for yourselves. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. They're in a place, not floating around everywhere. All of God's words are in righteousness. That's Proverbs 8 and 8. Romans 1, 16 and 17 tell us 
that God's righteousness is revealed in a place, in the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified. That's the gospel. Are you striving for the faith of the gospel? Philippians 1.27. If you are, you're striving to maintain the faith, your faith in the cross. This proves, those scriptures prove that every word God has ever spoken has to be seen in light of the one who claims he is the light and what he did as the lamb to become the light to us. This is why every message, there can be 10,000 sermons, but the message in every sermon, I said the message in every sermon must be Christ crucified. If we are without that focus of the lamb, we are without the impartation of what we are hearing because we're not hearing it in its righteous context. That means either they're not ministering it right or we're not listening to it and hearing it right. Either one of those is somebody's holding the word of truth in an unrighteous manner. Think about that. And again, these shepherds that God raises up, just as Jesus has raised up by raising up Peter, has related feeding the flock to himself being a witness of Christ's suffering. Are you a witness of Christ's suffering? Not physically, not in the flesh. And the apostle Paul himself, whether he saw Christ suffering or not, we don't know. But we know he cries out to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable, not to his resurrection, to his death. This is the place where the minister of God is eating, partaking, because we can't minister, we can't feed anybody what we're supposed to be feeding them if we're not partaking ourselves. That's why Peter says, I'm also an elder... I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I'm also a partaker of the glory that's coming, that's about to be revealed. Then he says, feed the flock. It's not, he, he doesn't just change the subject. This is the context of this whole first letter, suffering, and he's still talking about it. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. See, taking the oversight is based on what you're feeding them. And again, there's only one meal. There's only one meal. Amen. Jesus said it in John 6. Jesus said it in John 6. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. Jesus told the church in Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, you have a name that you're alive. And it was the church. They were alive in Christ, but they weren't living. In Christ, they were dead. They were alive on their way to heaven. They were alive in Christ, but there's a difference from being alive in Christ, being made alive in Christ, and living in Christ. Come on now. That's where, that's where the teaching comes in about abiding in Him. Continuing, remaining in the faith that puts you in Him, faith in the sacrifice. Think about all that. We have to be partaking of the right substance, which is the flesh and the blood of Jesus, if we're going to be able to feed the flock to be overseers that we're called to be. And again, if we're feeding them what they have to eat to be delivered from fear, dismay, and lack, then we're pointing them to what the Holy Spirit points them to and delivers them always, the Bible says, unto the death of Jesus. Because if that's not where we end up, then we're not being made conformable unto that death, that glorious image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're not partaking properly. And if we're not partaking properly, listen, then we're trying to constrain the people 
through fleshly avenues. Let's build a volleyball court. Let's build a tennis court. Let's, is there anything wrong with those things? No. But most today are using those things to try to appease the flesh of the congregation. We feed what we're eating. Never forget that. Listen to me, Christians. You're being fed what your pastor is eating. And if he's not partaking of the flesh and the blood of Jesus, he's not going to be able to feed you the meal of every moment, which is the flesh and the blood of Jesus. That wasn't a one-time meal Jesus taught about in John 6. And he proved it by what we talked about, Revelation 3 and 1. Also, Revelation 3 and 20, he's knocking on the door to get back in fellowship with the church of Laodicea who have his spirit indwelling them. Get this, this is a scary thing. We brought it up a few times over the last two months. We have the spirit of God as Christians, but we can be out of fellowship with the Son of God. That's what was going on in Laodicea because they were not partaking of the right substance, the right meal. They were not eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus because that's the meal that we have to be partaking of for him to be able to sup with us. And that was the that was what they were doing without him supping with them. He's knocking to get back in fellowship with them so he if any man hear my voice open the door, I'll come in and sup with them and them with me. That supping, my friend, is not happening without a literal, deliberate, and conscious faith from the heart in the death of Jesus. That means that means not just for pardon of our sin, but for our place of union and fellowship with him. Praise and worship to our Father in His name. Amen. Worship, prayer, giving, anything in the name of Jesus is not happening unless we're trusting in the sacrifice. And I'm not talking about, yeah, 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 I believe in the cross. No, I'm talking about focus, boasting in, preaching, teaching, pointing to, hallelujah to the Lamb. That's what got Paul in all his trouble. And that's what gets all of those in trouble that God has raised up and is setting among the church today. To feed the flock of God. To take the oversight. How do we take the oversight? Not by controlling them, not by constraining them, but willingly feeding them. Willingly. Not for money's sake. I promise you, if a pastor's called by God and, 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 and all the money goes away, He's still going to be called by God. He's still going to be doing what God's called him to do. He may not be doing it where he's at, but he's going to be doing it where he, wherever he is because he's called by God, he's set there by God, and he's going to be preaching the message that feeds the flock, which is Christ crucified throughout every passage of the Word of God, and he's going to be willingly, with a ready mind, feeding the flock. That's how he takes oversight, by feeding them properly and by teaching them properly according to what they are supposed to be eating. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Watch this now, verse 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, uh, meaning not trying to lord over people, but like you see many pastors. And if they're not, listen, uh, let's get this. If a pastor of a church doesn't know the way of sanctification, doesn't know how to live for God, doesn't know how the cross of Christ pertains to moment-by-moment living, How can he help the flock? They're already saved and his help for them now is teaching them to eat properly spiritually which is the flesh and blood of Jesus to keep their faith in the one object God has allowed us to boast in Galatians 6.14 and if he doesn't know that how can he help 
How can he do anything but like try to herd the people and try to control the people and, and be the CEO in some fleshly, domineering, dominating way? He can't. There is no help. That's why fear is, is dominant in congregations and dismay and, and lack is, fills the congregations today. And where the ministers of righteousness do plant their feet under the leading of the Lord, there's a front door, people come in, and very few Christians today find themselves planted in the house of the Lord at His leading where it pleases Him so that they can flourish in His courts. Very few today. Very few today. People hear this and they say, well, you just think everybody ought to be in your church. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And hungry hearts will wake up to the reality of what's going on and they will, just like several all over the world over the last 25 years have, they have realized I have planted myself in a church. You know who you are because you're sitting there admitting your preacher is wrong. You're sitting there admitting your church is dead. But you're still there. Why? Because you planted yourself in it. And until you see the truth of Christ crucified being the message you need to be constantly and habitually hearing from Genesis throughout the book of Revelation all through the Word of God, then you're, listen, until you recognize you have a need to serve God and to please God and that you're not doing it properly. Then you're going to keep trusting in what you've been trusting in that's not getting the job done and that keeps you testifying of your preacher's dead. And I know he don't preach right, but you know my grandma, you know. And I, I know he, I know, I know there's lots of, well, there ain't no perfect church, you know. I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying I hear that all the time. And when you find yourself in a move of God, my friend, 99% of the time it's going to be Him moving you to pluck you up out of where you've been and to plant you where it pleases Him so that you can get fed properly and fear begin to go, dismay begin to go, lack begin to go, dismay begin to go because you're now eating properly and you're being led properly by the Holy Spirit through someone overseeing a congregation. Not, listen, not being Lord over God's people, but being examples, in samples is the word. Let's look up this word in samples and just see what it means. It means a die or a stamp. It means something that's a die, like, like it's a die. This is a die is you this is the way it's going to be. A stamp. This is it. There's only one stamp. There's not there, that's why there's all this denominational mess. It all needs to go away and be gone. Because the stamp and the die is not some clique or avenue of men. It is the cross of Christ. Amen. It's the cross of Christ. In, 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 in August of this year, we will celebrate on August the 6th. It's really the date is August the 5th. We will have been a local church for 18 years. And on August the 6th, that Sunday coming soon, a couple months away, we'll celebrate. We'll have a great luncheon after service that day. But it won't be because of the name of our church. It'll be because the Lord and His grace has allowed us to preach Christ crucified, the gospel, for 18 years. Hallelujah. That's what we'll be celebrating, that Jesus died for us. Hallelujah. That He was buried for us, that He raised Himself by the glory of the Father for us, and that He's given us His Spirit, and He has been among us for 18 years, giving revival where there is deadness, waking Christians where they're asleep, filling those who are dry, and living leading those back to the path of righteousness who've wandered away. And that's, been going, that's what we're celebrating, our Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing. Hallelujah. Not some denominational name. That said it, and I'll say it again. All that needs to go away. It needs to go away. All of it. 
We can gather in the name of Jesus and worship through faith in the sacrifice and be filled with the Spirit of God. But as long as we, we've got people focused on all this other individual cliquish, all this Babylon confusion, let's make, let's give our, let's make ourselves a name then there's always going to be big problems. And God is calling people out of that. He's calling people out of that. Yes, he's calling people out of that constantly, daily. People are leaving all of that. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Glory be to God. He says, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy gain, filthy lucre, not for filthy fleshly gain, but of a ready mind, an eager, willing mind to feed the flock of God because that's really how we take oversight. That's how we take oversight. Proper oversight is by feeding the flock of God properly. And if we love Jesus properly, meaning through faith in the sacrifice, uh, that's how we love Him properly. Then we will feed the flock properly. Listen, we don't control who comes or who goes. We do. We are in control of what we preach. As far as we say, well, we're not really in control of that either, preacher. We have to hear the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're hearing the Holy Spirit, if you are hearing the Holy Spirit, hear this. He's always delivering you unto death for Jesus' sake so that we might express the life of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.11. Amen. So if you are hearing the Holy Spirit, you are being delivered to the death of Jesus because that's number one. That's where you're being made conformable to his death. That's what you have to be beholding, that glorious image, to be going from glory to glory, changed by the Spirit of God. Only as you behold that, as in a glass, as in a mirror, you can watch God in the reflection of the cross what Christ did there, change you in your life. And then, my friend, you're going to suffer for that. First of all, your flesh is going to suffer because it's no longer going to rule you. The sin nature is going to not rule you. And the congregation is not going to rule you. But you're going to have the oversight over the congregation. Too many pastors, too many pastors today are following the flock. And that's a, that's a terrible thing because if, if the shepherd's following the sheep, he's getting something nasty all over his feet. And you know what that is. He's got to be leading the flock. And how he leads and oversees is, number one, by loving Christ. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll feed my flock. Then you have to know what to feed them. It's not just the Word of God, my friend. Oh, no. It's not just the Word of God. Many read the Word of God. The devil quotes the Word of God, even though he uses it out of context. So do most preachers today. Because out of its righteous context, it's out of context. It's not just the Word of God. It's the Word of God in the light of the Son of God and what He did as the Lamb of God or we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. So, that's where we are. It's been a quick hour. It's been a great session. I hope you wrote down a few things. I hope you would hear the truth and hear the truth. That's what we need is truth. I don't need what grandma thinks. I don't need what I've heard all my life growing up unless it's been the truth. If it's the truth, I'm experiencing liberty. Remember, it's not me doing anything that makes me free. It's me knowing the truth. And I still need to be free from some things, hallelujah, in my experience. And any freedom I experience is going to be because of the truth. But the only truth that liberates and makes free happens when my faith is in the liberator, Christ Jesus, and what he did at Calvary to make me free. There is no liberty, freedom from sin. Listen to the verse in Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast in the liberty where with Christ we've been made free. Where with Christ we've been made free. With Christ, we were crucified. Mm. Let, me, let me, oh, read it again. Stand fast in the liberty where 
With Christ, we were made free. You won't experience more freedom and liberty in Christ Jesus than you've got to fight to keep your faith in his death, the gospel, his sacrifice. And my friend, when that's where your faith is, you're eating, you're partaking, and the Spirit of God is leading you. Hallelujah. And you will find yourself flourishing in the courts of your God. You will suffer. But even when you're suffering, you will find grace reigning through righteousness in your heart. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Again, it's been a great hour today. This has been a great session as we've now entered into chapter 5, 1 Peter. If the Lord stirs your heart, please pray for us. I pray right now in Jesus' name that whatever your need is, no matter how small it may seem or how huge and impossible it may seem, for I pray right now the Lord's touch be upon your body, soul, and spirit. And the miracle you need is today by His hands. Oh, His hands are merciful. His hands are gracious. His hands, oh, the power of the hands of Jesus. I pray that it be upon your body, soul, and spirit and the miracle, the provision, whatever it is you need today, be today that you find his touch upon you. Glory be to God. If God stirs your heart to give an offering to him through this ministry, you can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can simply text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. Don't forget about Determined Youth Camp coming up next month, July, which next month begins tomorrow, and it's in Palestine, Texas. Beholding the life-changing lamb is the theme this year, and you can. Uh, it's uh, July the seventeenth through the twentieth, and you can contact me, or you can contact pastors Clint and Lindsey Bass there in Palestine, Texas, at Christ Community Church. I hope to see you there. It is the youth camp your kids need to be at, hearing what God's focus has always been, and what ours should be. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Glory be to God. I'll see you Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here at Crossway Church. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.